Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we're starting a brand new series entitled Knowing God. And the title of today's message is Our Greatest Treasure. We hope you enjoy today's word. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is such a pleasure to be able to come into your homes today. We are so excited to be sharing God's word with you today. Today, we are starting a new series. Somebody say, I'm ready. If you're ready, go ahead and type, I'm ready. Go ahead and tell somebody, you're ready. Tell your neighbor, I'm ready. Tell your husband, I'm ready. Tell your kids, we're ready. I hope you guys are excited because today we are starting a brand new series. And we're going to be talking about the topic of knowing God. We'll be learning about the nature, the character, and the person of God. And I want you to hear why I believe it's so important for us to dig in to this topic, this new series that we're in. The reason why it's so important is because oftentimes we view God through the lens of his power, of his purpose, of his provision, instead of knowing him as the real and up-close person that he is in our lives. Listen, that's where relationship with God becomes personal. That's where knowing God actually begins. And so there's a lot that has been said about God, that has been written about God. There's a lot that has been uh, provided as vehicles by which we can access insight into God, right? And there's nothing wrong with these things. But unless we move past what we know about God and begin to understand his nature, his character, and his person, we will fall short of the real and true value that's contained in a personal relationship with God. I pray that you are listening in today. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject of our greatest treasure, our greatest treasure. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you a question as we get started here. What would you say is your greatest treasure? What is your greatest treasure? Listen to the scriptures in light of that, of that question as you consider it. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man uh, glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. I want you to consider this, what the scriptures are saying here. The word glory there means to celebrate, it means to praise, it means to make a show of what you value. And so in light of that, I want you to consider what the scriptures are actually saying to you and I, that if there's anything that we are to celebrate, anything that we are to praise, anything that we are to make a great show in terms of its value, it should not be our own wisdom. It should not be our own might. It should not be our riches and what we possess. Listen to what we should be glorying in. Listen to what we should be holding as treasure 
and valuing in our lives. Verse 24 says, but let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. So this verse right here, these verses, they get to the very heart of our nature as people. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Isn't it true that we celebrate what we do? Isn't it true that we celebrate what we accomplish? Isn't it true that we celebrate what we know and what we possess? Why? Because they bring the appearance of value into our lives. They give us a sense of 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 belonging in this world, of having a sense of status, of position. They, they give the appearance, not just to us, but to everyone else, what we value, what's valuable in our lives. And look, there's nothing wrong with valuing those things. There's nothing wrong with valuing your accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with celebrating what you do. There's nothing wrong with highlighting, you know, that you're prospering or that, you know, that you have some possessions or something nice. There's nothing wrong with that unless it takes you to the brink, over the brink of what's most important in life. I want you to consider what is most important in life. Listen, it's celebrating who God is in our lives. I pray that your heart is open at this moment. Because the truth is that we all value something. We all celebrate something. We all pour our heart into something. And if we're going to talk about the topic of knowing God, then here's what we must come to know. That the greatest treasure we could ever partake of, that we could possess, is a personal relationship with God. See, as long as you're celebrating you, according to what we just read in Scripture, as long as you're celebrating you, you can't know God. As long as you're celebrating you, you can't know God. Listen, there's a danger in in, in having a life, a heart, a, all our energy, all our focus, all our passion and devotion focused all upon ourselves. There's a danger to that. You know what that danger is? That you'll miss God and what he's doing in your life. You'll miss his desires. You'll miss what he's wanting, where he's wanting to take you. You know what's interesting is if we consider these verses in verse 24 of Jeremiah chapter 9, you'll see that God says, um, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands me and that he knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. But here's, here's the clincher. Listen to this. For in these I delight. What's interesting about this is that in the Hebrew, that word delight there is the Hebrew word chafatz. And it means to be pleased to do. 
But it describes this person, it depicts this person who's pleased to do something, that they're doing it in such a way that they are moved and inclined to do it out of a great sense of pleasure and desire. Listen closely to this statement. Unless your aim in life is to know God, you cannot perceive how God is moving. Why? You can't perceive his inclinations and desires. Why? Because you're so focused on you that you can't take notice of God in your life. It's like possessing treasure and not using it. It's like having it and not knowing it. You can't reap his true value, a personal relationship with him. It reminds me of a story I once read. It says that some years ago, there was a great actor who was asked at a drawing room function with a select few people. He was asked to recite for the pleasure of his fellow guests, to display the, you know, his great ability to exemplify and bring to life uh, notes and, and, and writings that were meant for, uh, for movies and for things. And so uh, it says that he consented. And he, and he was asked if there, and he asked if there was anything especially that they wanted to hear. And after a minute's pause, the story goes that an old man asked him to recite Psalm 23. At that moment, a strange look came over the actor's face. He paused for a moment, and then he said this. He says, I'll do it on one condition, that after I have recited it, you, my friend, will do the same. I, said the old man in surprise, I'm not a gifted orator as you, but if you wish, I'll do it. And so impressively, the actor began to recite Psalm 23. His voice and intonation were perfect. He held his audience spellbound. And as he finished, it was perfect. There was a great applause that broke from his guests. They were thrilled. And as the applause and the accolades died away, the old man rose and began to recite Psalm 23. His voice was not remarkable. His tone was not faultless. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. The actor rose and his voice quivered as he said, ladies and gentlemen, I, I reached your ears and your eyes. But this man, this man has reached your hearts. The difference is just this. I know the psalm, but he, he knows the shepherd. I want you to think about something here. That knowing God not only makes a difference in our lives. Knowing God impacts and brings change to the world around us. You see, if we're going to talk about knowing God, we have to understand that knowing God makes a difference in our lives. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. We'll be looking at a few other scriptures from Luke 24 in a bit. But I want you to turn with me to Luke 24, starting at verse 1. And it starts off by saying that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He said, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, speaking of the eleven disciples, and to all the others those who were there. Verse 10 says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the, other, the others with them who told this to the apostles. Listen closely to this. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like idle tales to them. As we examine today's text from the scriptures, we come to a point of climax in the lives of the disciples. Jesus is risen. Listen, he has fulfilled his purpose on behalf of the entire world. He died and he rose again. And by dying and rising again, he proved that because he came as a man, that all men had the opportunity now to die to an old way, one that is foreign and distant from God, and that they could rise again to a new and personal relationship with God that affords them a brand new life. My friends, that's available to all of us, the entire world. And so Jesus has come to this point of climax. I mean, he's done this great thing. But despite this life-changing move of God, you got you to gotta get this. No one was conscious of its value. No one was aware of its impact. See, even the very ones that Jesus had outright told, the ones who had walked with him, talked with him, witnessed great miracles, believed in him, followed him, all these people, none of them were in a place of comfort and conscious belief. And what Christ had done. And so these disciples had heard directly from Jesus that he would die and he would rise again. We just heard that in the testimony of the uh, angels as they reminded these women of the words of Jesus. And yet, we find them all in disbelief. And we have to wonder why. We have to wonder why. And verse 11 tells us something very interesting. It says that when the disciples heard what the women brought, this news that they were sharing with great excitement, it says that it seemed to them like idle tales. That word idle there speaks of something that seems to be impossible. It's too good to be true. Get this. It literally means something that is vain. It's empty. 
empty, void of anything worth believing. And so what were they disbelieving? These men were disbelieving that Jesus was who he had told them he was. They disbelieved that he was the son of God. See, when the person and the ability of Jesus seems to be too good to be true, the truth becomes idle. The truth becomes idle. It, 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 it becomes empty. It becomes a void of power. It becomes void of impact. And we have to realize what they were missing. They were missing all that Jesus had done, not just for them, but even today for some of us, it's possible that we're missing the power of the resurrection and the life that we now have because of Christ. You know, it's like attempting to drive a car in neutral. I sure hope none of you have ever done that. Maybe if you drive stick, you've done that at some point where you've, you, you've, uh, put, you've thrown your car into neutral. But here's something that you know if you've done that. That if you leave that car on neutral while the engine is running, while the power is flowing in that car, while you may even be moving, because the, the, you, you've put it in the neutral gear, the engine is idling. It's void of power, and what begins to happen is this gradual and incremental experience of slowing down and eventually coming to a stop. Listen, literally what, what happened to these men was that while they contained all this truth and this power and this revelation, they were stuck while living with potential. I got to ask you a question, my friends, something very personal, because many of us hold to the belief that we know God or that we're in that process of knowing God. Many of us hold to that belief that, you know, well, I know God, I go to church, I pray, I read the Bible, I do good works, nothing wrong with those things. But let me ask you a question. Is there an evidence of that power working in your life? Not based on what you know about God, but based on knowing God personally. Is it producing traction and motion? Is it taking you somewhere beyond where you've been? Are you experiencing life change? See, unless that's the experience you're having, the truth is that you're living without power. You're idle. You're stuck living with potential. That's a sad place to be in. And so not knowing Jesus has detrimental results, as we see. The Bible tells us that later on that day, two of his disciples, two of those very disciples that received this message, they were traveling from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And the Bible's clear to tell us that as they traveled, that it was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to this place, this city called Emmaus. And while they're traveling, they were talking. 
But you see, this wasn't just casual to this wasn't just casual talk. This wasn't just talking about, you know, this wasn't talk about how are your kids doing and you know how's the family and how's your job. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't any of that at all. The Bible tells us that these men were conversing and reasoning. In other words, they were processing everything that had happened up until the point of Jesus' death. And while doing so, the scriptures tell us that Jesus drew near to them. And he walked with them the rest of the way. But throughout this journey, their eyes, the scriptures tell us, were restrained. The Greek word used there is the, is the word kratio. And what it means is to lay hold upon or to have the sight or their vision taken hold, it, taken hold of by something. And so what had a hold of their ability to recognize Jesus? I'll tell you what it was. The Bible says that as they continue walking that Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And why they were so sad. And the scriptures tell us that they uh, responded with, with incredulousness. That they said, are you the only stranger in all Jerusalem? They go on to say to him, don't you know what has happened here in these past few days? And then we see the point, the crux, the foundation of their disbelief. Verses 19 through 21 say this. It says, and he said to them, what things? And so they said to him, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and, and word, I'm sorry, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, listen closely to this, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. I want you to consider something, what just actually happened in the reading of these verses at this moment in the lives of these men. Jesus went from being the exalted Son of God, the promised Savior of the entire world. This is where their estimate and their belief in him was. It was an elevated, exalted, glorious view of God in all his glory, in all his majesty. But then all of a sudden, he dies on a cross And mind you, he had told them that this would happen. And yet, it happened, and they had heard the promise that he would rise again. But because it was such a tragic, it was so gory, it was not what they expected. Because all the suffering that they saw, and they they heard the disclaimers of all the people around who said, if you're the Christ, come down from that cross all the people that cursed him and spit at him because they saw him in what appeared to be a fallen state, Jesus went from an exalted savior of the entire world and he was reduced in value to simply being a prophet from God. Listen, 
when the circumstances around you dictate your faith in God, you are bound to miss God. I'm going to say that again. When the circumstances around you dictate your faith in God, what am I talking about? I'm talking about when your faith in God is moved, is shaken, is rocked, is deviated by what you're seeing, by what you're hearing, by what you're feeling, by what's happening, when you can put God in that box and perceive your personal relationship with God based upon what you're going through, you're bound to miss God. You know why? I want you to consider, think of it this way. You're having a bad day. You had an argument with your husband. Your children are giving you a difficult time. You're struggling in, in some area. Maybe it's financially. Maybe you're worried about the future. And in the midst of this worry, in the midst of these concerns, in the midst of what people are doing, in the midst of what people are saying, whatever the circumstance is, it's lingering, it's going on, and you've been talking to God, but you don't see anything happening. And because you don't see anything happening in your own perception and belief and understanding, you come to this conclusion. Well, if nothing's changing, then God must not be real. God must not be working. God must not care for me. I want you to see something. That at that moment, your faith went from being in God to being in your circumstances. And that's a dangerous place to exist in. That's a dangerous place to be in. And so they were so intent upon their disappointment and their hurt that Jesus was reduced in value from from being their Lord and the Savior of the world to simply being a prophet. These men disbelieved God. See, if you're not careful, without even realizing it, the disbelief you're holding on to will begin to wrap its tentacles around you. Let me, let me put it to you this way. It's like you're embracing someone and you hold on to this person and you begin to draw them near and you think you're holding on to them but realize that while you're holding on to them, they're also holding on to you. And here's the key. That, that when we hold on to disbelief, while we're, we believe that we're holding on to something that's true, that disbelief, that lie, that falsehood is, is holding us really and it's beginning to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze to the point that we can no longer breathe the breath of life which is the inspired word of God. It sucks the life of Jesus out of you. It's not that Jesus isn't powerful. It's not that God isn't real. It's not that he isn't still present. But it's just that you've given up to such an extent your belief that you yourself fall into the embrace of lies and they squeeze 
the truth out of you. You know, the Bible says that in response to what these men told Jesus, that Jesus gets to the heart of the matter of their disbelief. Listen to verses 25 through 27. It says, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all. Don't forget that statement right there. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen closely to what happened here. They did not know Jesus, and so they could not believe God's plan. Let me put that to you another way. They ceased to believe that Jesus was Lord. And because they ceased to believe that Jesus was Lord, because they diminished the great value of the treasure that they once held to, they could no longer believe that God had a plan through Jesus himself. You know, this can happen to any of us. And the truth is that it's happened to all of us at some point on the journey of life with Jesus. What's amazing about this is that in the midst of this, while they were faltering in their belief, Jesus is still walking right alongside them. And the truth is that he's walking with us. It's very possible that there's someone tuning in today. You, you've, you've been invited. Someone shared this with you. You're in a watch party. Uh, you came across a link. Whatever the case is, you came to a point where you're listening to what the scriptures are saying. And there's a few types of people. For some of us, we grew up in church. And you're beating yourself up because you're saying, man, you know, I've messed up along the way. It's very possible that there's someone and you've never known Jesus. But you're identifying with this story today because you feel like you're realizing that you've been walking on a journey going somewhere, not realizing that God has been tugging at your heart and he's speaking to you right now. And then there are others who while walking with Jesus and knowing God and pressing into a relationship with him at some point have gotten distracted and rocked by something in life. In every one of those cases and many others that could exist, I want you to realize that Christ is still walking with you. God hasn't given up on you. And so listen, as these disciples are going down in a downward spiral of disbelief, Jesus did not, does not overload them with the weight of their disbelief. He doesn't tell them how bad they are. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't point a finger at them. He doesn't preach fire and brimstone to them. He does none of those things. He does none of them. Instead, he simply shows them what the scriptures reveal concerning who he is. I'll tell you why this is so important. Because when we deviate, when we lose sight of our great treasure, the only thing that Jesus does is point us back to himself.
See, to know Jesus is to know life. To know Jesus is to know what life is all about. And so what can we learn from this as it relates to knowing God for ourselves? I want to talk to you for the last couple of moments that I have here. Uh, and I, and I want to just kind of highlight some lessons on knowing and treasuring our relationship with God. And the first thing I want you to see here is that to know Jesus is to know God. You know, for some of us, it's very possible that when we read the Bible and we read about Jesus, it's almost as if we disassociate Jesus from God himself. It's like Jesus, yeah, he was a good guy, he was a prophet, you know, yeah, he's the savior of the world, but we see that independent of God the Father. I want you to consider the words of Jesus in John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, let me translate that, Jesus says to you, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? He's talking to one of the disciples, but hey, if the shoe fits, don't wear it, change it. Listen to what he says. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, if you want to know God personally, his nature, his character, and the way that he relates to you. If you find yourself asking this question, what does God think about me? How is God responding to me? What is God doing in my life right now in the midst of these circumstances that I'm going through? I want to encourage you to just look to the life of Jesus. Look to the life of Jesus. I remember when I first started coming back to church as a young adult, and I started to really pursue a relationship with God, I was experiencing relationship with God through a scarred past. What am I talking about? I grew up in an environment called church, which really wasn't church. But I grew up in an environment where I was taught that God loved me. I was told that. But I was taught that God's love was contingent upon my continual behavior and my continual modification of where I fell short. I was told, in essence, your relationship with God and the love of God towards you depends on if you act lovable. And so when I started coming back to church as an adult and I started seeking God for myself, when I stopped depending on what people told me and I started to look to the Bible, I began to see some things in the scriptures. And one uh, instance in the scriptures really radically had an impact on my belief system. It's the story of a woman who was caught in adultery. And the scriptures say that this woman was brought to Jesus by a group of religious people. And these people bring her to Jesus and they say, the law says this woman who was caught in adultery should be stoned. What do you say? And the scriptures are clear that they were testing Jesus to see if they could catch him in something where he would contradict the law and thereby declare him guilty and a liar. And the scriptures say that Jesus knelt down and that he began to write in the, in the sand on the ground, but he remained silent. He had no response to what they said. And they kept pressing him, the scripture says. And I imagine this woman on her knees, guilty as charged. And when I read that, that first that time, many years ago, 
I began to identify with how this woman felt. You see, I was struggling with guilt. I was struggling with shame. And I felt like, man, I was caught red-handed. And here I am now going to church. But I'm guilty. Maybe you felt that way. Listen closely to the words of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, that eventually he responds to these men and he says, he who is without sin among you, you cast the first stone. The Bible says that all of a sudden, these men, they begin to leave one by one. They drop their stones up until the point that no one is left but Jesus and this woman. And the Bible says that Jesus asked this woman, woman, where are your accusers? Are there any left? The scriptures say that she says, no, Lord, there's none. And then Jesus said these words, and they ministered to my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because for the first time in my life, I saw myself at the feet of Jesus. And I understood something, that God loved me. And it wasn't based on conditions. It was based on his view of me. My friends, this is important because the moment you shift from knowing about Jesus and knowing about God to knowing Jesus and realizing that what you see through the life of Jesus is the very depiction of God the Father and his heart towards you. Until you get to that point, you will see yourself as distant, as far, and maybe you'll even feel and wrestle with shames of guilt, with, with, with feelings of guilt and shame. You'll struggle. But I've got good news to you, for you, that you too can begin to see and know God as you look to the life of Jesus. There is no circumstance that you're undergoing that there isn't a depiction of God the Father through the life of Jesus in your life. The second thing that we learn, a lesson here, as we consider what happened with the disciples is this. It's that a slow heart inhibits your ability to know God. A slow heart inhibits your ability to know God. The scriptures say that Jesus said to, the, to these two men, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Listen to what was happening here. These disciples were struggling because they were reasoning in the wrong direction. What are you talking about, Jose? What do you, what do you mean here, pastor? Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. These men at one time were living life on the fast lane with Jesus. They were accelerating in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They were understanding God's ways. They were understanding his nature. They were going places. The Bible says that these men were performing great miracles with the same authority of Jesus because Jesus said that he had given it to them. So these guys were accelerating in all things pertaining to the truth of God and a personal relationship with God. But then all of a sudden, things go haywire and it doesn't fit their reasoning and understanding. And they begin to slow down in this area of faith in Jesus 
as the Savior of the world. But in slowing down in that area, they began to accelerate in their disbelief. See, when you slow down, when you begin to come to a halt in your personal uh, understanding of God, when you, when you begin to slow down in your pursuit of a relationship with Jesus, when you begin to slow down in your growing and in your fellowship with the body of believers and, and, and service in the kingdom and, and knowing God and declaring God and sharing it and acting in response and in worship to God, when you begin to slow down in all these areas, you have to understand something, that the reason why you're slowing down there is because you're accelerating in another area of your life. You're accelerating in something that is pulling you away from your faith, your trust, and a personal experience with Jesus Christ. My friends, instead of accelerating in anything but God, why not slow down in those areas and accelerate in the one place that counts most. It's the place of your treasure. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, that word slow there means to become dull. But it's literally a dulling process because of an inactive reasoning. It's a mindset, it's a belief system that shuts off, that, that, come, that, that, that ceases from activity and increases activity elsewhere. My friends, a slow heart inhibits your ability to know God. And so if you're struggling to hear God, if you're struggling to know the way that he's provided for you, it's because you've slowed down your approach to a personal relationship with God. You can change that today. It starts by simply taking the word of God that we're hearing today and accelerating with it. Making a decision that I need God, that I need my personal relationship with Jesus, that this is all that I want and all that I need. The third thing that we learn and the last thing that we learn from the example in Luke 24 and in the life of these disciples is this. It's that relationship with God is contingent upon understanding Christ's great sacrifice. Listen, the Bible says that upon arriving at Emmaus, that Jesus signaled to them, that he made clear to them, it was clear by, by his actions, that his intention was to continue his journey down this road. It wasn't his plan to stop there. The disciples, the scriptures tell us, that they responded by constraining him. In, in essence, what the scriptures are saying was that they, they, they compelled him, even forcefully. They, they, they didn't just simply ask. They said, no, Jesus, you got to understand, you can't go anywhere else. I need you. I need to be with you. And so the scriptures say that they compelled him to stay with them. Listen to Luke 24 verses 30 through 35. 
It says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. I want to pause right here for a moment because this is an important juncture in this experience that these disciples had. These men had personal experience with Jesus. You know, Bible scholars say that in the Last Supper, it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but it's very likely that there were many other people in the room with them. And so it's very possible that these two disciples were among those people on the fringes. But never mind that. Either way, these disciples were familiar with the final words of Jesus on that night. And they were also familiar with the fact that he took the bread and he broke it. Now let's see why that's so important. And so the scriptures say that he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Verse 31 says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight, verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Verse 34, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Listen closely. Listen to what just happened. These men had gotten to a place where they had reduced the value of Jesus in their life to that of a prophet. Listen to why that's important. Because now all of a sudden they have this personal encounter with Jesus and their eyes are open. There's no longer a hold on their eyes, their hurt, their worries, their fears, their concerns for the present and for the future, the circumstances that led to great disappointment in their life before this point when they walked with Jesus. None of that had a hold on their vision, on their heart any longer. And the moment they let go of those things, the Bible says that their eyes were opened. They were opened. And because they were opened, they now knew Jesus as Lord. Our last point here is simply this, that relationship with God is contingent upon understanding Christ's great sacrifice. Listen, they now understood. Remember that the Bible says that Jesus told them everything that Moses and the prophets said concerning himself. Jesus, as he walked with them, was pointing out to them the prophecies. He was pointing out to them the revelation that was contained there, that was concealed from their eyes because of their hurt, because of their disbelief. But now they saw, and now once again, God 
was elevated in their hearts. Verse 34 says this, The Lord is risen indeed. Once again, they were at the place where they could glean and partake of their greatest treasure, a personal relationship with God. The Bible says that their hearts burned within them. That word burn there speaks of a consummation, a change in the form, in the consistency of a thing. In other words, their hearts were consumed with this truth. And a change occurred within to such an extent that I believe that they now understood the very words that Jesus says to you and me. And I pray that you will partake of these words and understand them for yourself. It's an important revelation as it pertains to knowing God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Let me translate that for you. I am the way that you've been seeking. I am the truth that you've been wanting and you've been setting aside. And I am the life. In me is a new life. A good life. A real life. A life-changing experience with God. As we close here today, I want to encourage you to consider the words of Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am all that you need. Hey, friends and family. Thanks again so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. And if he did, we want to know. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can even give us a call at the office to let us know how God spoke to you. Don't forget to also share this message with a friend, a co-worker. Share it on your social media stories. You never know who in your life may be blessed by this word. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. And we'll see you next week.